I'm Andrew O'Hagan, host of a new podcast from the London Review of Books. It's about the bloodiest and most controversial event of the Falklands War, the sinking of the General Belgrano. Margaret Thatcher was accused of a war crime. The truth would only emerge in the pages of a private diary. This is the Belgrano Diary. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. I will ask Sava and Jem to read a little bit from their work, and then I'll ask them a few questions about their writing of it. And we will leave time, as uh, John said, for you to ask some questions at about quarter two. And I want to see your hands straight up. I want to see a forest of hands. I don't want any of that English kind of, oh, I'm not so sure if I should ask this. Great interrupt. So to start us off, Sabah, could you read a few minutes from your story, I think, Snakebite? Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Lara liked a snake bite. She drank other things, but this was her go-to. She was only in it to get fucked. She didn't care about the taste. She admitted that to me freely once I got to know her. I took a light interest in taste myself, but mostly I chose my booze by colour. I liked anything vibrant, Aperol or creme de menthe. I worked in a pub called the Queen's Head, and whenever things got depressing in there, I'd pour myself a shot. My manager, Mark, rarely noticed. Unless the schoolgirls were in, he spent most of his time in the back, gambling on his own fruit machines. I'd had six shots the night I met Lara. It was Valentine's Day. The pub was empty, but for a single regular, sat at the bar, reviewing his reflection in a pint of Guinness. The door opened and a guy came in, Lara following behind. It was raining out. They were both dripping gently, holding themselves. He was perhaps 19 in an ugly red and yellow polo shirt, no coat. He had an Adam's apple like a swallowed blade, hair in a scraggly ponytail. Lara wore fishnets and huge black boots. She seemed to be surrounded by a fine blue light. It was only when the guy with the ponytail repeated his order that I realised I hadn't been listening. There was an edge of shyness to his voice, left over from being with Lara. The raindrops coming off him tapped at the wood floor. Sorry, I said, reaching for the pint glasses. It's lager and cider, equal parts, cheapest you've got. I know what a snake bite is, I said. He watched me, dead behind the eyes, as I poured. I was wearing a university hoodie, a rain mac, leggings worn thin at the crotch. My hair was clotted with grease, and there was nothing on my face but lip balm. I'd never had a boyfriend and had just accepted it as the sort of thing that wouldn't happen to me. I imagined myself married, ten years down the line, to a man who used gel in his hair and cooked burgers on a barbecue for our dumpy kids, but I hadn't put much thought into how I might get there. The future, to me, was something that would just happen. The guy with the ponytail paid in change, then went over to the pool table. 
He rested his drinks on the felt while he pushed coins into the slot. Lara went to him, lifted a snake bite and drank from it. She looked directly at me, just for a second, over the lip of her glass. Then she put the drink down and polished her cue with a chalk. She broke, and she broke well. The sound echoed through the room like a smashed glass. The Queen's Head was a grotty pub with streaky glasses and an odd assortment of furniture that had mostly been dragged in off the street. Mark notoriously didn't ask teenage girls for their IDs, so they'd come from all over the city to get served, some not even bothering to change out their uniforms first. Pervy Mark, they'd whisper to each other while he used his teeth to crack open their Smirnoff ices. I dropped an empty CV into the Queen's Head midway through my first year and got the job on the spot. I hadn't needed the money as much as something to do. University, it turned out, was little more than an empty time slot in which young people could take a stab at small-scale alcoholism before deciding whether or not to launch into the real thing. Halls, where I'd lived in my first year, radiated the slightly sweet smell of vomit. Patches of it would go unclaimed in the corridor for days until eventually someone had the sense to run a hoover over them. In my opinion, drinking was fine, but it wasn't an activity in and of itself. It didn't count as doing something. I'd come to university to meet the sort of people who wore berets, stole handfuls of cherries from fruit stalls, talked about arts and politics. Here, rugby boys downed entire bottles of rosé, followed by bowls of their own piss, then did press-ups and circles. For my second year, I'd moved in with a group of medics, all female, with various skin conditions they would discuss at length. They'd spend evenings on the sofa together, watching Take Me Out, splitting a dominoes and scratching each other's arms. E45, let's say, pseudocram, bio-oil? When I went home to my parents' house in the Cotswolds for term holidays, a guy called Quaver would take over my shifts. He was at university elsewhere, but his parents lived opposite the Queen's Head, so he'd returned to the city just as I was leaving. We'd crossed paths a few times. In early January, I showed up to my first shift of the year to find him standing on a chair, pulling down the tinsel that I'd stapled up a month before. He had a lip piercing and his hair was shaved and bleached yellow. He called me babe lazily as he was leaving, then helped himself to a packet of peanuts from behind the bar. I remember thinking that Quaver could have been me in a parallel universe. Amazing. Thank you very much. Um, Saba, what was your initial idea for the story? What, what was it you wanted to write? Um, when I wrote Send Nudes, I was kind of really irritated by like um, online feminism and infographics and kind of quippy one-liners about like no means no or it all just seemed really oversimplified and um, I wanted to get into the murkiness and like the reality of, of um, yeah like all of these experiences and, and how it actually feels and how one day you don't know and then the next day you do and with Snakebite it was it was that which meant it was about the kind of blurred line between um, friendship and like queerness and, and relationships and, and the not knowing there um, and obsession also. And um, I think I was interested in that idea that the, the kind of myth that women are like really good at communicating and um, can, can always you know, be really honest with each other and know exactly how they feel all the time. And um, I wanted to write a story where just like neither of the female characters knew how they were feeling. Um, and yeah, and, and I, I guess, you know, just 
being kind of gross and being horrible to each other um, and not being necessarily like nice or moral or taking the, the high ground in terms of your sex life or your love life. Fantastic, thank you. And I, I love this story and, and many of your stories because I think they, they function so well. No detail in it is throwaway. Everything kind of seems to animate and be part of the greater whole. Um, just one example that occurred to me, I was reading this on the way here and she loves, she, she would love to be with someone who steals cherries. And then a couple of pages later, she's walking down the street, popping glacé cherries into her mouth, which is like a kind of the, the crap version of what she wanted. It's, it's these fantastic details. Do these brilliant touches come to you in just one long writing process or do you return to them and add them? I think it's not even as conscious as that. Like, maybe there's just cherries on my mind a lot. I, uh, <laughs> I like, Susanna Dickey wrote this amazing review of Send Nudes and the Singing Fly, and she picked up on, on this stuff, you know, and there, there's, like, a, a rabbit and snake bite, and then there's a rabbit in another story that I hadn't even remembered. And sometimes it takes, like, another reader. I think that's kind of the magic thing about writing a book, is it's... Yeah, I, I probably am thinking about cherries a lot, and and all of and and this these kind of things that are just always in your head, and then and then they come out and yeah, I think that I I read this really um this great interview with Patricia Lockwood in the Guardian, and she was like, when I'm first conceiving of a book, I don't start with a um, a stone and chisel away at it. I start with like really loose, wet clay and I let it seep into all the corners and, and then slowly the clay hardens and the corners are brought in and it, I liked that. I think it is about like the dark corners of your mind and, and all of these, these kind of sneaky details that you've probably been thinking about since you were a kid, you know, for whatever reason. Sure, okay, so the analysis I'm doing as a reader, you're not, you're not conscious as you're, as you're right. some of it I must be. Um, Cherries and rabbits, just... Sort of, yeah. <laughs> okay, fantastic. <laughs> Gem, do you recognise this? Um, there's your language in this, it, in the story you're going to read, is just fantastic and it seems so intentional. Um, do you create these details in one draft? Or, again, you something you return to and augment later? Yeah, I do. Can everyone hear me? Is my mic on? You seem quiet. Yeah. Hello, hello. Everyone can hear Yes. Okay, cool, sorry. Um, I, yeah, a lot of stuff that I think is really good and are like really good images at first, I will go back to and they are just really like pedestrian and suck and are really bad. And it tends, the stuff that I really think is good tends to come out quite late in the pro, like I'm kind of desperate and I'm like, well, this is bad. And then I kind of go back through it and I'm like, oh, no, actually, that does kind of things suggest them. So I think things that I tend to take into like the writing process, like in the morning that I'm like, I thought it's really good thought. And I write it down and it just stinks. It's like it's like something my dad would write. Like, it's just so <laughs> poor. <laughs> Sorry, dad. <laughs> You'll probably be fine. I don't know. Uh, but then like. And he's here tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but then things that like. Like, kind of just come really without you knowing them are the things that stay. I think they come from a, not to be too lofty about it, but I guess we're probably going to get pretty lofty this evening. Uh, <laughs> is, it's, that, well, it's stuff that kind of comes through like the side door, like that you don't really notice putting down on the page. 
Um, also, so I noticed in Sabersberg a couple more images that I'm interested. The uh, there's a lot of falling or like fear of falling, which I thought was really interesting. Like as I was going through it, like different story. Yeah, there's one that ends with the girls falling. The yes. last story, the woman's worried about falling. Someone else sees, sees someone who's had a fall. And the other thing I really liked is a lot of the stories end with people like walking into sunlight or looking at sunlight or seeing some light. I thought that was really cool, but oh, I like I'm the fact that it might good not and be not bad. Aware. No, 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 no. I think it's great. <laughs> I, I like it when like writers like kind of have a have a project. Like I think I have it myself, but I didn't notice it. I've only like noticed it like on rereads. Mm. I mean, I haven't actually reread the book, but like looking at like bits of it, I'm like mm. oh yeah, or like other people pointing out, mm. but. It's weird, isn't it? Because I wonder how much of weird. that you were aware of, but then it's yeah, this is of... all news to me. Oh, guys, round of I'm obviously just it. obsessed with falling. Yeah, but and I, it's like but actually it quite great. scary yeah, when yeah, someone yeah. else reads your book. But I think that's what it links the stories together in a really cool way. Like I love mm -hmm. seeing that in other, in other writers. Like it's one of my favorite things. Like images that are just like so burned in mm -hmm. behind your eyes that they just kind of keep expressing themselves in different ways. I think is really mm -hmm. cool. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's and it's something that you can't like artificially engineer as well. Like. I think that's that's like a really nice thing. They just kind of like keep yeah, and I yeah, and I really like I agree completely with what you say. I think like the stuff where you write it down and then the next day it's shit, or and and editing is that, isn't it? You know, yeah, yeah, like yeah. you ha it's with your editor for however many months and then it comes back, and it's not only been edited and made you know like pointed out where it's not so good, but also. Yeah. You can see, like you're like, oh my god, I just, like I completely repeated myself yeah, there, yeah, or yeah. like, and yeah. I will get obsessed with one line and end up putting it in loads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I work in cafes, and sometimes people's dialogue will like slip in. Yeah. And then I'm just like, why is that in there? Just because yeah, you heard yeah, that in yeah. the cafe, it's not like wisdom. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Easily confused. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, um, Sabra. I wanted to ask you a question, and I wonder whether, to a degree, you might have answered it. To what degree were you following the sort of the personalities of Meg and Lara? And to what degree were you saying, I want to write this story and creating, you know, a fantastic mm. drama from it? Mm. I think um, I think for the first draft, I'm always wanting to write a certain kind of story. And then it takes a whole draft to even get to know my characters. And then you go back and you're like, they would never say that or they would never do that. And the whole story changes because you know them. And that's the, that's what I'm in it for, really. I, I'm much more interested in my characters and where they're gonna take me than I am in like writing the story that I've got in my mind. Um, with, with Snakebite, I was doing my masters in creative writing and I was writing my dissertation and I was like, okay, this is gonna be the longest thing I've ever written. You know, it was like 15,000 words they were asking for or whatever. And um, I was like, maybe it'll even be a novel. Mm -hmm. And I got really ahead of myself and I like put all these, this stuff in at the beginning. I put like everything I could think of. And then I got uh, however far in and they were just kind of like being horrible to each other and then making up and then being horrible to each other and then making up and then doing it all over again. And I gave it to my teacher and she was like, yeah, we just need this once. And I was like, okay, it's a short story. It's a short story. <laughs> and, and yeah, I think, yeah. Cool, fantastic. Gem, similar question to you. How do you come to the stories unfolding? Is this a schedule? Do you kind of, do you have some intention before you're writing? Um, it's kind of like the other thing as well with images, like it, 
you kind of have some idea of like something you want to do or something you need to say and then that's very often the first thing that gets thrown out like it you kind of have these like interesting conceits and then very, literally it has happened pretty much every story where the original thing I wanted to do kind of falls by the wayside and like the kind of some like you said like you just know a character wouldn't say that when you're reading but it's just yeah it's generally by process of elimination you kind of get to what it is so everything always starts quite messy very lofty I'm always like oh this is I'm finally gonna say it <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm like what was I trying to say <laughs> like you reread it and it's like there's literally nothing there but then there'll be like one little thing that kind of stands out and is like yeah you kind of just have to keep pulling on that thread but again that's really nice because I think if you knew if you were like just sitting down to do do you know what I mean? To like illustrate a point you already have in your head. I think there are writers that do that. And to be honest, I think it shows. It's like you're reading it and you're like, okay, you, you are like telling me one thought and like using your characters to illustrate that thought. And it just seems kind of a bit dead on the page. A bit, a bit polemic yeah, as opposed yeah, to yeah. particular. So I, I don't know. It kind of has to bounce back at you a little bit, I suppose. Sure. I mean, I was going to ask when you find that sentence that, that is the thing you want to follow. Could you describe why it's good? Oh, that's a really good question. What, what does it have? Yeah, you know what? I've thought about this a lot, and I think my well, like the one real skill I have as a writer is I really know what I don't like. Like I know, I really can tell what is bad, and I'm not saying like in like a Harold Bloom type way. Like I'll pick up a book and say if it's bad in mm -hmm. two pages. Like I'm not like, <laughs> but it's like, but I I know what I like and what's and my I I discriminate in my work quite strongly. Things that aren't good enough just don't deserve to be there. It's a waste of people's time. I, I don't like wasting people's time. Tao Lin has a really cool thing he says about editing, which is editing is saving the reader time. And I really believe in that. There's no reason a reader should read my thoughts unless I think they're like good enough to be there. And it, it's a really time consuming process, but it means I can kind of sleep easily with the idea of the book being out there because it's like, you know what? That was like kind of really stuff that I, really needed, like really meant and was really kind of had some kind of drive behind it. And yeah, I don't know, that, that's, that's really like the best I can do is just like identify the things that I think are really off-putting and about my work, like I do them every time, like I sit down every time and I do some stupid thing that I'm like, I did that yesterday, I did that day, and it sucks every time. And like, but in the process of, yeah, removing things and sort of clearing things away, if I can find a few little bits that are like worthy of kind of hanging on to, they tend to be kind of really like instructive, good thoughts. Amazing, thank you. And, and on that bombshell, um, Jem, could you read a few minutes of, um, of your story, please? Yes, I'd love to. This is uh, distraction from sadness is not the same thing as happiness. Um, I'm just gonna read like the start of the story. Um, there's no dialogue, sorry about that. Uh, the algorithm took into consideration the common interests, vending friendships, and left-to-right-swipe ratio categorized attractiveness brackets of the two users before providing each with the other's profile card for approval. At 1915 BST, which by now the algorithm had determined to be her peak time of app usage, the female user sat in one of the give-up seats at the front of a single-deck city bus and, via the interface of her smartphone's algorithm-based dating app, encountered the male user's profile card for the first time. 
upon seeing his profile card, which, like the rigidly customizable profile cards of the algorithm-based dating apps, other non-premium users, consisted starkly of a four-name and age-bearing header, a scrollable gallery of six 500 by 500 pixel square images, and below that, a geographical location marker plus maximum five lines of introductory sans-serif text. The female user close to instantly registered that the male user was the exact type of guy she and the algorithm would classify as her type. The algorithm took note of the haste with which the female user scrolled through, then back a second time through the pictures of the male user. The celerity with which she accordingly swept right on his profile card, constituting, by a comfortable margin, a record decision-making time for a user otherwise grouped into the algorithm's upper 80th percentile for choosiness. After presenting to the female user a rendering of the word like being stamped diagonally across the male user's forehead, the algorithm dissolved the profile card from the dating app's main display and generated a full screen dynamic ad intended to appeal to the female user by promoting a product relevant to her known wants and spending behaviors. In the case of the female user specifically, said product was a cosmetic cream manufactured to tighten loose or flabby skin below the mandible. Midway through the ad's 18-second playtime, the female user clicked her smartphone locked and stared out of the nearest bus window. Whether or not she absently ran the backs of her fingers over the soft underside of her chin as she watched the passing world and considered her place in it, the algorithm could not say. How's that? Yeah? I'll stop there. Okay. Very good. Hey, yeah, Jim, thank you very much. All right. So, similar question to you. What was your initial idea for this story? Where did, where did this story start? Um, I really like wanted to write some again, like yeah, similar to the other things that have been coming up. I really wanted to write something that was like a uh, someone really needs to like tackle dating apps and like this needs to. This is like 2017, so it seemed like a lot more like kind of novel of an idea at the time. And yeah, I really thought I kind of like had some. Yeah, I kind of wanted it to feel like this kind of like dystopian, almost like sci-fi story most of it that was going to be via the technology that the characters it just sounds like a bad like 70s movie that's like the technology tells the story it's just like the kind of idea that is really high concept but when you actually in practice but that's good it's good that it falls apart like that because then i i kind of realized actually this is just this is like a really interesting way to look at the way two characters kind of interact with each other and like you know kind of fail each other in, in different ways with like different strengths of badness. And yeah, I don't know, it, I, and it, like a lot of things, it ended up being like, the more I sort of concentrated on it and worked on it, it kind of ended up being a bit softer. I know that didn't sound very soft, but like there is like kind of real heart in it. And I almost, I, I am always quite interested as well in like the, kind of like the American realism movement, like around like the 50s and 60s, they kind of had this cool idea that the more, if you, if you write something in just like a really base level, like just a really pared down, keep very strictly to the facts level, it very quickly becomes like unbearably sad. And I was really interested in what that, why that is and what that means. And I still don't really have an answer, but I do just think it's interesting. Like, if you were to describe like me, well, <laughs> I'm not going to describe, but you know what I mean? Like, you, it's just, it's weird, it's a really weird thing. Like, if you write just like a really accurate, affectless description of something, it just seems like the saddest thing in the world. And I was like, what is that? And can I sort of explore that? And I st that's still something I'm interested in and still like, 
something that I, I think about a lot. But yeah, I, th I think that, that was like the first story I wrote in that collection and it was kind of like a nice push, you know, in terms of like the style I kind of landed on, which sometimes is a lot softer and warmer and less lectury, one might say, than that. Well, it is a good story, so I'm not gonna, but you, you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't have like quite the same, there's, there's almost like a kind of weird like passive aggressiveness to it that I find quite interesting. Like in really burrowing down into the details of something, it feels quite punishing um, you're like, yeah, it does. Um, the algorithm, I mean, yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, so my idea of dating is, if this was, I learned through this story, mm -hmm. and it was brutal. Oh, yes, yes. rough on the other side as it well, is, brother. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't meet anyone in the 20s or 30s and go, a couple's go, oh, where did you meet? Because they look yeah. at me like I'm a dickhead and go, the internet. And yeah. I need to stop asking that question, do I? Yes. Okay. Well, okay. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, um, Sabat, Jem talked a little bit about his influences. Would you say that, that you know your influences on your writing? Um, yeah. When I wrote Send News, I was reading, I, I reread Salvage the Bones by Jasmine Ward like three times. Um, I love Jhumpa Lahiri as a short story writer. Jhumpa Lahiri. Okay. Um, yeah, I love like the range that she, you know, some like like Unaccustomed Death, they're kind of almost novellas, the short stories in a collection. And then, um, yeah, and then, sh you know, she'll do really short. I just think, I just think she's great. At, when, when I'm like interested in how I can do the form, she's, she's a, a real go-to. Um, Miranda July, I like Miranda July a lot, The Metal Bowl, which is on The New Yorker, is like one of my favorite short stories ever. Um, yeah. Okay, fantastic, brilliant, thank you. Um, Jem, I wanted to ask you about, um, I suppose this is something that's true in both of your short stories, that the sort of the narrator seems to be quite unaware of themselves and yours, the algorithm is in control. For Meg, probably she doesn't, doesn't seem, she's quite passive in there. Mm -hmm. um, is this something that's quite, you know, new? I mean, is, is this a perennial thing, the, the unaware narrator? Or do you think there's something actually in the 21st century that is creating your story? Oh, wow, that's interesting. Um, sometimes I think about trying to narrate my stories like it's like if a child was watching this happening but with like an adult's vocabulary. It's like everything is new, everything is novel, things are like really interesting and distracting. But I'm not saying I'm like dumbing it down for babies, but you know what I mean? It's like you kind of want this like you want to read about something that is familiar to you as if you're re-experiencing it for the first time. That to me is like what tends to feel quite exciting. Um, I think in your uh, story that you read tonight, you, you have that description of when she first sees Lara and it's like there's blue light on her or something like that. Even just like a little thing like that, just really, for me, it's like details like that, that kind of, I don't know, it's like something I know, like I've seen blue light and I've seen the way like blue light <laughs> but it's like an outline-y, I don't know, it's just mm. that, that, it's more about like how the Im image to image, what is the kind of most refreshing way I can, I can see that. And then for me, like the actual narrator kind of comes separately. But then having, I think in my book, there's only like a couple of first person stories and they're a bit shorter, whereas Sabah does, you, you do more first-person stuff where the narrator is kind of a bit more like present in the action of the plot, I guess. Yeah, I like first-person. I find I can really, I can really run with it. Um, you know, it, yeah, I think like the, 
The thing that strikes me, like one of my favorite things about the story you just read, that's to do with the kind of perspective or the voice is like the things that the internet can't see. And I wonder if in a way you do that with first person too, you know, or like, I, I think that happens in Snakebite with Meg is it's like, and that the algorithm, you know, that line where like the algorithm doesn't know if she touches her chin or not. I think whenever you're writing about the internet, you're also writing about um, like where the internet can't touch. And, um, and, and it's kind of, yeah, having like a, having the whole voice of a story as the algorithm is, is amazing for that because you can, it, especially in a collection where none of the other stories are from the voice of the algorithm. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You really, you really see that narrowness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I get like in your story, Snakebite, kind of a whole big thing is that there are these blind spots in how, is it Meg, yeah. the narrator of that? Yeah. Yeah, there are like these blind spots in how she sees the relationship. And you're very sympathetic to her point of view because the character Lara is like, you would be like mesmerized by her if you met her. Mm -hmm. But it's also Meg, kind of her like willful blindness. Or, I don't know, you do it very artfully. Like it's, it's quite impressive. Like by the time you've got to the end, you're like, for me, I kind of was seeing Lara the way Meg does, which is like, she's this very, I kind of only really had good things to say about her, even yeah. though there were like kind of, she's like an incredibly manipulative, yeah. like at times just kind of like flatly, unambiguously like cruel person. Yeah. But you kind of are left with this like weird, and then like the final, you know, sex scene between them at the end is quite like. I yeah, know. I wanted that to feel like a win. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, 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 that's crazy. Yeah. Because it should, it kind of should, like, well, not that it kind of shouldn't, but you know what I mean? It's like, it doesn't make yeah, it's sense. Not, it's not ideal. <laughs> but it, but it, yeah, right. It is not, but, but, it, but you do like, you are kind of like really kind of wrapped up in the impression that she has made mm. on Meg. It's, it's do you think like, you like always like your characters? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I always want people to like my characters even when they're horrible. And yeah. I, have a, I, do, I have a real heart for them. Yes. Yeah, and I wonder if you can stick with a character that you hate properly. Mm. Yeah. I find it much easier to hate people in real life, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's... yeah, real people are the worst. Real people are the worst. <laughs> um, well, actually, I mean, Jem, you were starting to talk about endings, and I wanted to say, I mean, we've heard the beginnings to these two stories, and they are immaculate. Um, but actually, the endings are, I mean, even better, in that they kind of, what they resolve, what they leave unresolved, how they sort of fold and, and unfurl it is, is quite brilliant. So, Jem, how do you write a brilliant ending? So that was provocative yeah, and stupid. Yeah, that, that was very cheap. Uh, you back yourself into a corner and then you're like, oh, God. Uh, and then you kind of thread a few things together. No, I don't know. Do, I mean, do you start from yeah, the end? Yeah, I, I tend to. Do you have like, a sense of where yeah, you're going? Yeah, yeah, very much so. I tend to like pretty much have an ending in mind as soon as I have an idea of like what the, like the, the, the last like image is always very obvious. Like it's kind of something that will resonate and kind of has that like, chimey, truthy feeling. For the podcast, he's oh, doing yeah, hand yeah, actions. Kind of like mysterious hand, <laughs> twink, twinkly sign language thing. Right. But yeah, I don't know. It, that, that is very easy to me to know, actually. And like, I've just started a, a novel and like the beginning and the ending were like the two first things I'd, I was like, oh yeah, this is like exactly, not in a way, but not, I should, not in a way that like kills the excitement of it for me and like leaves no, like nothing to be expressed. But it's just like, I, I have quite a clear sense of like, oh yeah, like this, like it, it tends to come, it's just like gets downloaded into 
your brain overnight from somewhere, and then it's like, oh yeah, that would like fit perfectly. Uh, but yeah, like having there's not a lot of like will involved in it. Like it either comes really naturally, or it, like I, I have done things where I've just kind of sat and like not known how to finish them and kind of moved on something else, and then it will come. And but I think if you're kind of like forcing out the ending, it's like it will probably kind of mangle the whole thing. Um, and yeah, the ending of that one, I I kind of just had this idea of like I was interested in the predictive text function of iPhones at the time. Oh yeah, such good ending. Yeah, yeah and because it, it's just such it's such a it's like one of those ideas that is like so interesting. Like it like algorithm it. Could could you explain the ending? Yeah, so the ending is, right? is just like she's writing texts to this guy who's kind of ghosting her, I guess. And then the last message, she just sees the predictive text function. You know, on an iPhone. Yeah, it comes up with like your three most used words to like start and continue. And she just kind of hits the middle one over and over and over about 20 times and, and sends this like nonsensical sentence. And, and yet vaguely sensible. Mm. Yeah, that's the thing. And it's like, and it again, like talking about the things like describing things flatly is like quite sad. Looking at the things you would write is like so sad. It's like mine is like, haha, please, nice, sorry, okay, <laughs> yes. It's like all these, like, you totally get a sense of you're just like complete. Worthlessness. No, but you know, it's like, and I guess now it's a different idea because, like, large language model AI is like kind of a big ongoing issue that people like more work. But that was like a really interesting, and it still is kind of like a really interesting technology, like autocorrect and stuff. Like, I don't know, it's it is weird and it's kind of a bit. So I guess, sorry, I feel like I've taken a long time to answer your question, but the that's kind of what I'm going for with something at the end. Is it's like something that doesn't sit neatly enough to just like slot in a nice line halfway through that's like cool I can put that on and we can move on from that it's like it kind of has to be uh, just an irresolvable problem that like only the last line can deal with and you're just kind of it's just going to kind of push you back into the world I guess and and also gave a new sense to everything that had gone bef before that was like oh and this is a new way to see it, it was, yeah right right yeah that's it's lovely. fantastic yeah. yeah um Saba your ending is superb it's it yeah I, I think it's a resolution without being a resolution I found mm -hmm. I could I, I got a, an ending from it uh, when did that come to you and your writing of it yeah my endings um rarely I, I rarely know them until I get there um I think for me, it's all about energy and like running away from boredom. And I don't know if I'd get bored if I knew the ending, but definitely I, I, I much prefer to, ju to just have some kind of drive of following the character. And, and that's why when I said I was like, maybe it'll be a novel, is I, I didn't know how long I would run with it. Um, and I think that's what short stories are so good at you don't have to really tie up any loose ends or like revisit a character or an idea uh you can kind of just i think because they're contained within the form you can get really messy and it's okay and uh yeah i think like the spirit of that is is what i i kind of try and keep in mind um yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the short story reader is, I think, more emotionally articulate. They can kind of cope with, you know, they don't need a, a, a Hollywood ending. Um, people, I have more questions, but we are actually at quarter two. And would anyone like to put their hand up and ask a question of Saba or Jem and their work? Oh, this is... Come on, you cowards. Come on. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> it worked. 
<laughs> I, I, I'm just for both of you. Um, how much is your writing an exploration for yourself, or, and how much does the perception of how the reader will take this influence how you how you write? Um, I can't think about having a reader, or I could couldn't really write. I don't think. Um, it's like a very different experience. I'm, I'm writing my novel now, which is my second book, and I guess I know I'll have an audience, and it can be quite crippling, I think. And whereas these, I really was um, writing for myself completely, and uh, I, I don't. I think I would would have found the idea of them being out in the world way too exposing to even put the words down. Um, so yeah, even like forever, this book will be so special to me because of that, you know? Like it's always just this thing that I did just for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think you, the thinking about opening it up to people too early is like kind of suffocates it a bit. Like it needs to just be like a mushroom in the dark for a while and just kind of like grow like and I, equally I also find like telling people about things that I'm working on is really a good way to just make sure it never actually happens like it just <laughs> destroys the whole process for me so I tend to be quite like reserved about it which is weird but I'm also quite happy that that seems to work um your editor's here tonight <laughs> yeah yeah she is so that is yeah uh <laughs> you know He's happy with what he gets. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. But then having said that, I, it would be dishonest of me. Perhaps like later in the process, it, it's something I, I think about more like what will... Like I do really like to keep on top of what the reader will be feeling. I, I do really try and put... My, and like I am weird about like I like it to be quite dense with key information like I like to make sure you're like receiving key information in like a nice I know that sounds like the way they write like Netflix series like very but it is a it's quite important to me that yeah like boredom doesn't really enter the conversation like even if it's like tough and difficult or weird I do want it to be entertaining and so I think it's almost like it happens in two stages like the first stage is making sure everything feels right and kind of make sense and then the second stage is it's like ah oh, this actually needs to be like fun and entertaining so i think probably later on in the process it's like like this yeah you know like you sometimes have to remove things that you like because it's like i like this but i actually think that most people will be super bored by it right. and it's like a, a two-page like disquisition on like i'm gonna say economics because we're in the lrb and that'll make me sound smart on the podcast but it never, <laughs> it never is that uh but you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, it's it's a bit of a balance. But like, yeah, like Sabra, I'd say, uh, towards like, you kind of have to ensure your own interest first. You can't get ahead of yourself. And, and actually, you were talking downstairs about you've had feedback to your stories and it's just a jumble. It's just, yeah, oh, it, yeah. it's no use. Right, that's really, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know why I pointed at Sabra because she only gets good feedback because mm -hmm. her stuff's great. My feedback is always like, Half of it was really good, and half of it actually kind of stinks. No, I'm be, I'm exaggerating, but it is it. But it's, it's never. The but the point story. I was making is no one can ever agree on like what's the best story or what's the week, and it's like, which is kind of nice because, it, yeah, it 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 means that everything kind of like has its place in there. But yes, you're absolutely right. If I was writing it towards, yeah, like based on other people's feedback, I would be I'd have lost all my hair yeah. by now, as opposed to having some of it still. <laughs> yeah, it's, have you seen Have you seen Truly Madly Deeply, where um, uh, Alan Rickman turns up with all the ghosts? It's sort of having like all the ghosts, like right. all of their kind of opinions, okay, suddenly in your that. house. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. You're, when you're yeah, writing, 100%. Yeah, 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 so, you gotta, so 
Okay, that sounds good. Anyway, so, um, would anyone else like to ask a question, please? Yes. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, so that's a question about your writing day for the podcast. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you want to go first? Me? Yeah, you go. Uh, I... Um, snake bite? <laughs> <laughs> Starts with a snake bite every morning. No, I, uh, I, just write, I just write when I can these days. I've got a baby, and when he's asleep, I write, and often he wakes up when I'm mid-sentence, and I'm like... Ah, um, you're part of my process. You're part of my process, baby. I swear. Yeah, um, yeah it's. It, uh, I like writing in cafes. I like writing in public places a lot. I try and do that when I can. Um, definitely moving around is really nice for me. Um, I try not to get too hooked on my like um, worth being anything to do with the how many words I get down in a day, or um, how many books I'll write in my lifetime, or you know like. Just, just trying to turn away from that whole um, pressure um, to be like efficient is important to me. Um, but yeah, I, I try and I write every day. I write every day, um, but sometimes it's for like an hour, and and sometimes like today my grandma came and I wrote for like five hours, and I'll wake up tomorrow and delete half of it. But that's okay. I edit as I go. Yeah, I don't know yeah, if you do that. Yeah, like I don't know if that's like a hangover from being a short story writer in a novel. Like, mm-hmm. I meet actual novel writers and they're like, no, <laughs> don't yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. But um, I can't move forwards if it's not I'm good. Ex- yeah, I'm the exact same. And it does, it seems like people are quite evenly split into two. Like, some people just do draft one to like draft. Didn't Claire Keegan write like 90 drafts of her most recent? Like, do you know what I mean? It's like people just, yeah, it was very. <laughs> But we love, yeah, she's great, but yeah, yeah, yeah. She is amazing, but like yeah. 90 drafts. But some like, people like do 10, just words, do like, yeah, an insane amount of drafts. Whereas, yeah, yeah I pretty much do one thing and then uh, yeah. if anyone gives me edits on those, I get really upset. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms, I, I do a lot of work in the morning and then sometimes I do, I do like contract copywriting a lot of the time. So, um yeah, so that can kind of like slot in quite easily. While I was writing the book, I, I pretty much had a full-time job the whole time, but I was doing like a email office job. So as soon as no one was looking at what I was doing, I was like, move the word document. And I would just write, literally have like uninterrupted, like nine hour days. I was working for this like insane, I'll put them on blast because they suck. This guy, yeah, this like copyright company that is like owned, it, it kind of came out that they were like owned by like a giant uh chinese corporation that like never really checked up on like the it was like literally like the david graeber bullshit jobs like edit perfect encapsulation like it just none of the work they were doing went anywhere but people there were like 20 people there working super hard and like getting stressed out and like (laughs) (laughs) being alcoholics and like cheating on their wives for like 
work that literally wasn't going anywhere. I kind of once I, but yeah, that's if any, if there are like any budding writers in the audience, I 100% would say get a really like boring email job. I know, I know they're like relatively hard to get now, but like, yeah, if you can get something <laughs> where you like email for two hours in the morning and can just work for like none of the computers plugged in. Yeah, like literally just time theft is absolutely the way to go. So, and uh, if any future employers are listening, uh, <laughs> you know, I, this is all an elaborate joke for the people in the room tonight. I would never do such a thing. Uh, are, uh, are you guys both typing on computers? You're not handwriting? Yeah. I type, yeah. yeah I get on typing. But right. I, do, I do like to. Uh, I find the move from when it goes from like reading on a screen to when I print something out and read it, that's like a very, that's, that's a big day. Like Sometimes I like to change the font size yeah, just to yeah. see if it looks different. No, 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 no. That's like, yeah. I've, I've been given that advice too and it's kind of really... I never like, print though. You never print. I love to print. Yeah, it's good. I don't have a printer. I bought a printer a little while you? ago. I was like, this is such a, I literally cool. no one cares. Maybe I should do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was very Maybe excited. Maybe that's what oh, I can give do. you a really good recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, the brother Bluetooth printer. <laughs> right, oh, well, you didn't, you didn't see that question going that direction. Yeah. Um, would anyone else like to ask a question not about printers, please? Uh, yes. <laughs> um, I had an original question, but now I thought of another one um, of like what Sam just said. So he said, like, right, like, if it was an hour a day, is that just sort of like random musings? Is it stuff to do with your novel? Is it, or is it just like anything that pops, pops up just so? Keep your hand it, it's my novel, yeah. Um, I wish I wish it was random musings. I I found that like with writing a novel and the short story collection, I like never write anything else. My diary's so neglected. It's really sad. I'll see like you know Sylvia Plath's diaries, and I'm like, it's never gonna be me because yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just always on my laptop writing my stupid novel. But yeah, I um yeah, it's always the novel. And I'm, I'm trying not to reread it because, like I say, my, all my time will get filled with just, like, reminding myself what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I have just got to a point where I will, like, skip ahead and write a later scene if I'm really feeling that. And, it, and it's been, I've been mulling over it for a while. Um, so I have a lot of documents at the moment with just, like, dates as their titles. And I'm trying to make it a book. Mm. <laughs> do you now novelists miss your short story days really no uh, not really podcast I nodded my head and Jem <laughs> shook yeah Jem why miss your short story day I don't know get out <laughs> <laughs> I don't know I, th I get to be honest I tell you what it is at the time when I was writing this I was reading just short story collections to like see how people did it and I haven't read that many short story collections. I've been like, I guess it's just what I have my attention on at the time. Um, I, having said that, like I've written some, I, I wrote a short story a little while ago for uh, Esquire, I think. Oh. And that was, that was like really, actually like really great. But then if I'm hearing myself say this and I actually like, I know that that was just kind of to warm up getting into the, I don't know, I feel like I'm like letting the guild of, short story writers down but we'll have a word afterwards. yeah i don't know i kind of have uh i feel Isn't like because the faber goons are looming yeah, over you faber goons are gonna beat me up <laughs> if i don't hype no i don't i don't know what it is yeah i feel like that's a i'm not i feel like that's like a contrarian opinion but i just i don't know i feel like i, I would find it hard 
I tell you what else it is actually, is for me, short story writing was a lot about the conditions under which I wrote them. So the idea of like writing a novel wasn't even on the cards because I hadn't had any external validation of like, oh, your, your writing is worth reading. So why would I waste like three or four years writing a novel that I might get to the end of and everyone will be like, that sucks, why did you do that? Like better to do some short stories where you can almost iterate as you go through people decide different ones suck <laughs> as you go. But you know what I mean? It's like, so I don't know. I, I feel like, and now I have got some more time to spend on a longer project. It just feels like the natural fit. And I'm more interested in kind of seeing how two characters move across a sort of duration of, of time that's slightly longer. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm sure at some point I'd like to write short fiction again, but yeah. Oh, sorry, I didn't want to press you. Um, no, Sabah, I'm sorry, Scratch. No. <laughs> it's okay. Sabah, would you like to say a little bit about why the short story life was, was better than the novel, I suppose, does it come down to the baby? Yeah, I think, yeah, they, they seem to fit quite neatly into my life. But also, I think, it, I think it's like what we've talked about tonight, like I, the messiness, um, the kind of, the, the way that you can write the whole thing just to get to know your character and then go back and start again, and that feels like a, like a reasonable thing to do. I, it feels, it's, it's definitely to do with the... Um, the kind of the fact that you're you're closed into a certain size and then you can get really crazy inside it. Um, that feels that feels really nice to me. Um, I am just I only write to um, feel um, not bored. Like I really I really do like to entertain myself, and the short story is, is a really fun place to do that. I think. Fantastic. I think we'll probably have time for one more question if anyone would like to raise their hand and ask one. Oh. Scott. Oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> uh, so with social media and technology, do you ever find yourself splitting into a sort of cab above being like a technology bad and we've talked about technology bad versus, oh, I have this really interesting idea that I want to refresh and recontextualize through social media and different like I'm about taking out this uh, AI model to come back. This is really interesting. It's disturbing. It's disturbing how it is in a while. Do you feel yourself having to sort of authenticate your process and how you have that social online? Is it, is it the thing at the end of the day? It, is, it can come across as quite um, scattered in some levels where it's like, oh, it's best to talk about social media alongside talk about, mm. you know, just for the sake of talking about social media or being able to chess. Do you generally feel that's a processing when you're writing about anything like that? So that was a question, I think, to Gem about how you would write about the social media. Yeah, that's interesting. I think one way I kind of think about it, if you, like, 19th, early 20th century novels, they're really into architecture, like they were like, oh, actually, architecture is really um, pretty fast. Like you know, like they're like, there's a lot going on. You read a lot of like uh, George Eliot and stuff, and she just bangs on about architecture for like ten pages. And I kind of feel like it. I write about social media the way I would have written about architecture. Like it fit. Do you know what I mean? It fits in as a theme that is like there is stuff to be said that is kind of that are kind of open questions. So I feel like, I guess what I'm saying is like, I feel like there is kind of a historical precedent for like raising new issues that have to do with like, uh, like engines of social change on the page. But equally, I, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I think sometimes I do kind of just like write 
a little polemic for a, a couple of lines, just because I know it's going to be something my readers have felt. Because it, 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 you know, like yeah, the internet is kind of like a weird, like lonely, connected place. Like it, it like it kind of a lot of people's regular problems from real life compound there and kind of reach a like climax there. So it's kind of it's a natural fit for my interests. But I do hear what you're saying. And I I think another thing I'm learning is it's just quite hard to have an original thought about social media. Like I'm almost a bit, I don't want to say I'm sick of it, but it's like I, it was, it's not as new of a technology as it once was. And I feel like people kind of know, like people are kind of like re-hypnotized by it every day after going to sleep thinking like, that was terrible, I'll never do that again. <laughs> but like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like it's kind of, it's a bit of a like uh, Ouroboros thing. You know, it's like people are just kind of a bit sick of like going round and round. So, which is to say that I'm kind of like focusing a bit less on it in my current and future work because I just feel like I know the arguments for and against a bit more. Um, but it's still something I'm interested in. I'll, and that was one more thing I thought, sorry to bang on, but I also, th with all this stuff, a huge caveat is, and like you said about your writing to kind of entertain yourself, I will think a million things in a day where I'm like, yeah, you could never do that. You can't write that. And, da, da, da. and then I see someone does it and it's great. Like it just takes someone being interesting about it. Like you, that's the nice thing. And you can surprise yourself by like, you know, laying down rules for yourself where it's like, I'm not interested in this kind of thing. And then you write that kind of thing. And it's like, like, I don't know who, what like new like romance can be written about that's really going to be that interesting. Like it's pretty easy to feel that way in your head, but then like, you pick up something that's actually well written and it's like, yeah, fuck that. Like, do you know what I mean? All your former thoughts about it are just shown to be wrong and it's a great feeling. So I am going to write about social media, <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's just one of those things. Yeah. But that was a great question. I love Thank cool. you. Everybody, I think we are running out of time. It is eight o'clock. Um, Saba and Jem are going to be hanging around for a little while longer. I think the till will be open. There is Reverse Engineering's one and two. There are the magnificent collections from Saba and Jem. Um, definitely, I think, buy them all. Um, but thank you so much. And come a round of applause for... Uh... Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.